0: Well, good evening, everybody. Praise the Lord that we're here. And praise the Lord that uh, we got to have a wonderful meal. I'm um, ready to explode. I don't know if you are, but uh, I'm really, really full. Um, are we ready to praise the Lord tonight? Amen. Amen. Well, that was not so enthusiastic. I think I'm going to say it one more time. Are we ready to praise the Lord tonight? Amen. There we go. Amen. Praise God.
1: There we go.
0: All right. Well, before we uh, pray and get into our praise and worship part let me uh, read a verse here it says uh for you have been a shelter for me a strong tower from the enemy i will abide in your tabernacle forever i will trust in the shelter of your wings amen, amen. that's our lord and savior that's our god amen? amen all right let's bow our heads brothers and sisters and let's go to the lord heavenly father we just thank you so much for every opportunity you give us to be able to come into your house and to worship you and to praise you and Lord to be in your presence Lord tonight I just pray Lord that uh, you would touch every person here and bless them for coming tonight and Lord be with those that are away from us tonight for whatever reason Lord bring them back to us draw them back to us as quick as possible we miss them and Lord we love them and Lord we just want to see them Lord tonight I pray that you would put your hands on the musicians Lord, that you would give them the the strength, the courage, and the wisdom to bring us to that wonderful place of praise and worship tonight. Lord, be with this service. Lord, uh, just continue to watch over us and give us the strength and the courage we need to be the best we can be for you. We love you, we praise you, and we honor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. 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 Well, good evening, everyone. Let's all stand. I wish you're always on your feet first, brother. I love that. All right, let's praise the Lord tonight. You are my and my strength. You are my God in whom I trust. You are the rock of my salvation. You are my God in whom I trust. You turn my turn my sorrow into joy. I exalt you. I sing praise to you. I give thanks to you forever. I cry shepherd of my soul You are my God in whom I trust You are merciful and mighty You are my God in whom I trust You turn my morning into dancing turn my sorrow into joy. I exalt you. I sing praise to you. I give thanks to you for Defeated. The enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're gonna lift our voice in victory. We're gonna make our praises loud. The enemy has been defeated. And death couldn't hold you down. We're gonna lift up Victory, we're gonna make your praises. Shout out to God, shout out to God with the voice of triumph. Shout out to God with the voice of praise. Shout out to God with the voice of triumph. We lift your name up, we lift your name up. Shout out to God with the voice of triumph. Shout out to God with the voice of praise. Shout out to God with the voice of triumph. We lift your name up that Your name, up. I exalt You. I sing praise to You. I give thanks to You forever. I cry out to You, and You hear me. I give thanks to You forever. Sing that chorus one more time. I exalt. for such a great hope that you've given us. Lord, that there's going to be a life that you're taking us to. Lord, it's going to be beyond anything we can ever imagine. You set yourself you have prepared a place for us so that where you are we can also be. Lord, by your mercy and grace, of your precious blood. Lord, we don't have to live in this existence for Squatter. In light of eternity, Lord, it's just a breath. Lord, remind us of that often. Lord, give us strength as we endure down here. so Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Let's give him praise right now. Lord, we lift up your name. You have given us such a hope. Lord, no matter the struggles we're going through, we're never alone. Lord, no matter the trials we face, you're right we're there with us. You are so faithful to us, Lord it's not because of who we are, but it's because of who you are, Lord, you will never go against your word, you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, we thank you so much that one day we'll be able to spend eternity. what it'll be like we I
0: Oh, praise the Lord! Let me uh, get my emotions back in check. That's one of my favorite songs. You know, I uh, remember when I first saw the movie and saw how Bart Millard he uh, talked about talked about his father and talked about the forgiveness that he couldn't give but that the lord opened up his heart so he could and i just praise god for that because he uh man has done so much for me and i just i think about that because he did that for me and my mom he opened my heart so i could forgive her in the past and uh i now have a relationship with her i just got done talking to her just a little while ago so i just praise god for that amen amen, amen. amen. all right well we're going to have our brother uh louise come up and do uh Praise reports and prayer requests. But before he does, I have a question for you. (laughs) What do you uh, call a cat that can bowl? An alley cat. (laughs) Uh,
2: Thank you, brother. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, church. Good to be with you guys today. Um, Before we start with uh, thanks and prayer requests, the Bible says that... um, when God when Jesus comes again that every knee will bow and confess that He is that He is Lord. And I only can imagine how much the Lord has in store for those who choose that now. All right. Well, I just want to thank God for for his word. It says that his ear is never too heavy nor his hand too short. Let us let us pray. Heavenly Father God, we come to you, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for your love, Father. We ask you, Father God, just to heal our brothers and sisters. Families that are sick or that are being persecuted, Father God, we ask you, Father God, to give us wisdom and understanding, Lord, as the sake you brings up this message. We ask you, Father God, we also remember that your word says that do not to be surprised when the day comes, Lord, that that, that the Christians will be persecuted or even slow down from trying to worship you, Lord. Your will be done. We give all glory and thanks to you. Amen.
0: Praise the Lord. Man, uh, emotions are going crazy tonight. Uh brothers that you're talking about, you know, I know them so well and and uh you know, I've been through a lot of the struggles with them. You know, as I saw all the services taken away and all the things that have happened to that facility, and I just, please, brothers, sisters, keep them in your prayers. You know, those men—they—they—they they, they love God and they love to worship God and they love to to go to service and come together. And, and uh, we just just pray for them. Pray that, uh, that that God will intervene. I know He will because we, when we ask, He hears us. When we cry out, He brings swift justice. So let's cry out to him and pray to him and let's do do what we can. I know there are some other things that are behind the scenes, works that uh, are being talked about, so let's just keep that in prayers. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, well, before uh, we bring our brother Mark up here to to speak, I have a question for you. What has more lives than a cat? A frog. It croaks every night. (laughs) I
3: don't know. that the church What are we building? Wow. <laughs> I'm not sure what to think about that that's fine. That's <sighs> all right. Brothers, it is good to see you. It's good to be here with you. I've been looking forward to this all week with your interpretation. <laughs> and you'll soon know why. Um, okay, bring it. It's, it's been a wonderful week. And before I get started, why don't you go ahead and flip up the... Uh, we're going to look at Titus, and the title of it is, Hey Bro, Listen Up! <laughs> it's a primer on living in the church, and it's going to be pretty broad. Uh, we could spend We could probably spend six months looking at Titus and some of the things. I've read at least two books related... To parts of Titus, one of the books is related just to the elder qualifications. It's a few verses, but it takes up, I don't know, 150-some-odd pages, 200 pages. But before I start, I'd like to warm you up with a little exercise. I don't know if you can see see this. Okay, everybody needs to just take a look to to your right and to your left. Take a look to the person to your right and to your left. And then I want you to practice this motion. Go like this. Can you see that? Okay, now, you're going to need that. You are really going to need that. Did you catch it, Eric? Okay. Now, oh. I think I need this. <coughs> Off, on, okay. Um, because in honor of Oso,
4: <laughs>
3: I'm embarking on a, a bit of unique, oblique geek speak. Right? Please, fair and noble clique, I bespeak, don't shriek at the technique in this sleek streak of bleak boutique doublespeak. Are you ready for, for some prime, sublime rhyme time? And I've been told I was supposed to ask Kevin if he could if he could riff on that a little bit. So
1: thousands of comedians out of work. <laughs>
3: Yes, yes. So the first question is, I think it's this one. What do you call a Kenworth that transports lions for a circus? Well, it's a pride ride, of course. They get, they get more. All right. How about a hot bear kiss? Or for some of you, como se dice, hot bear kiss? Well, that's Uno Oso Beso (laughs) Picoso. This is an honor of you, my friend. (laughs)
1: Uh.
3: (laughs) (laughs) What's the headline when a northern Iraqi math professor corrals Asperger students for a calculus lesson? Any guesses? Herd, absurd curd, spurred nerd herd. <laughs> you see what you've done, also? You get me wound up, and I can't hardly stop. All right, this one's this in honor of, because we are at a church, and we do study the Bible. This is in honor of the biblical knowledge, and it's. Um, what would the first Israeli king's New Testament namesake, his conversion, be called if the event happened in France instead of on the Damascus Road? This, is, this involves a little bit of history, a little bit of Bible knowledge. Any guesses? No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's tall Saul to Paul in Gaul. Tall uh. Saul? <laughs> well... He was tall. That's why he was selected as me. He stood heads, heads above everybody else. How was that? Oh, so? I <laughs> 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 uh, see. So you see? Okay. All right. All right. My slippery, perfunctory, introductory, frippery, and soliloquy is officially history. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and was my
3: And there was was much rejoicing, that's right. (laughs) So let's get on with the lesson, shall we? That's three minutes that you're never going to get back. (laughs) And I need a Spanish lesson, let's just put it that way. Uh, I'd like to open with a word of prayer. (laughs) Father, as we come together to look into your word as your body, as your children, We come and we just ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would refresh us, that you would challenge us, that you would bring us closer to you and that we would honor you in all that we do and say. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, The song, there was one song and it talks about better is one place. And it talks about to be in the presence where your glory dwells. Uh, in one way, you could say that part of what we do is to bring glory to God. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And so where does God glory dwell right now? Yes, right here. It dwells in you. It dwells in you. It dwells in you. And part of our worship, part of our calling is to give glory in everything that we do. And I summarize this lesson by saying the church comprised of all true believers is overseen by shepherds called to watch over the flock to assure its health. The shepherds are called to feed the church with the pure word To mature its members, to protect against those who ply error and bring disease to the flock. Church members are responsible to actively embrace maturing so that they may participate in body life. So that's kind of what we're going to discuss today. That's kind of an overview. And some of us have kitties. I know that Kevin has a cat. I have a cat, and Deb has a cat. I don't know who else has cats. Chris Chris has a cat. All right, that must mean somebody else has a cat. Because well, you two have cats. So John has a cat. ah, my nephew trapped this feral cat when I don't know four or five months old at least, and he gave it to her. gave it to us after she had all had all of her shots. They clipped her ear to because he wasn't sure whether anybody would take her or not. He named her Jinx. How would you like to have someone running around the house named Jinx? I have fun watching her. And uh, there she is right there. Uh, You can see my dad. If you look in back at my dad, you'll see the cat. Uh, So this this is the Jinx. And... I have fun watching her, and I even gain insights as I watch, because as Solomon says in Proverbs 24, when I saw, I reflected upon it, I looked, and I received instruction. Well, when I watch Jinx, I reflect, and I receive instruction. Understand that I've spent quite a bit of time trying to train Jinx. She started off as one scared kitty. I mean, this thing would just hide under everything. Constantly fearing of everything and everyone. And I, I know this now, but it's really hard to remove those feral instincts after living that way for four or five months. Apply that to us. It's really hard to remove sin nature after living that way for a bunch of years. And it takes training and instruction to do that. So I began by socializing her. <clears throat> and she's much friendlier now. The, the help that comes over to help with my mom in the mornings, they, they've commented on how they can actually approach her and pet her. She doesn't just run away or run up the stairs. But she's still a little bit of a scaredy cat. Any noise and she jumps, right? it's, it's amazing. And part of her training involves setting boundaries. She's not allowed in the kitchen since she gets into the bread, the pancakes, the corn cobs, and other stuff that's into garbage, or on the counters. She's been trained not to go out of the family room. That's her domain, and she knows it. (laughs) She comes right up to the edge of her domain, and she'll sit and watch us eat in the living room. used to be that we closed the doors, but now we leave the doors open, and she'll come right up to where the carpet starts, and she'll just sit there and watch. And I think I know what she's watching for, but it's pretty fun to watch. And at times, well, she just stops right there. And she's learned and submits to what she's been taught. She also knows what the word know means. But not only do we watch Jinx, but Jinx watches us. You see, Jinx will go into the kitchen and other parts of the house if she doesn't see or hear us. She will go and grab a corn cob and and some other stuff and drag it into the family room. And she'll go out into the living room looking for fallen morsels on the floor. And all the time she's doing that, she's watching and listening to see if we're around. And as soon as she gets one inkling that there's someone around, she darts right back into that family room. Well, because that's her rightful domain and she knows her place and she knows when she's out of place. So Jinx's behavior evidences a guilty conscience. (laughs) Jinx is submissive as long as she has accountability. Once the accountability is removed, Jinx's true nature reveals itself exposing a rebellious heart. How could something so cute have a rebellious heart? But Jinx wants to be seen as doing right. So Jinx runs back to her domain to be seen as submissive and obedient. But she's not. Does that remind you of anyone you know? I see some people laughing. I laugh at that myself. I think God sees us acting that way actually pretty often. And since he knows us and loves us, in his grace and mercy, he provided oversight for our benefit. Tonight, we're going to look at Paul's discussion on how the church is to attend to a believer's needs. And if Paul were to address us today, he might start with, hey, bro, Listen up! So let's listen up to what God inspired Paul to write to Titus. And we'll start with a little bit of background. A bird's eye view, that 40,000 foot view down into Titus. First off, an epistle is a letter. It's the word in Greek for letter. So Paul wrote a letter. No big deal. And it's from Paul, who was a Pharisee, to Titus, who's a Greek Gentile. Paul identifies Titus as a co-worker and a true child with a common faith. He establishes that Titus is a believer. Ta- they both have spent time on several missionary journeys. That's how Paul knows what Titus is about. Paul knows Titus' faith is genuine. It's the kind of faith that affords believers' kinship in Christ's kingdom. Paul preached the gospel in Crete. Now he charges Titus with setting in order what remains. What remains are groups of believers that need shepherded. They needed recognized shepherds to guard them, to instruct them, and to correct them. In the beginning, there was no structure or formally recognized shepherds or what we would call elders. The, the word, I think, is presbyter. presbyter. Um, and that's where the frozen chosen get the name Presbyterians from. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, and we would call them elders. And immediately, Satan began to exploit the new believers. And Paul knew that that was going to happen, so he wrote the letter to Titus, which has some similarities to the ones that he sent to Timothy, right? They're called pastoral letters. Apparently, there were what we call issues in the church there. You you might recall that Crete had a reputation, and not a good reputation, I might say. You all know that there are places that have reputations, there's Nineveh, there's Amsterdam, oh, there's San Francisco and Las Vegas. Florence. There's the zone. Florence, okay. There's Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's Van Buren, I know. Crete's reputation was well known at the time of Paul, and unlike Jonah, Paul did not shy away from going there. See, God called him to go to the Gentiles. So he went where they were at. Between Crete and Corinth, Paul went to some of the places best known for their immorality. And I, re- I remember reading an article about Billy Graham. This has been years and years ago. And he, he was having a, a crusade in San Francisco. And this article wrote, this I think was in the newspaper it was in the secular newspaper. They said, when Billy Graham went to San Francisco, he didn't go just into the churches. You know where he went? He went to the tenderloin district. For those of you who don't know what the tenderloin district that is, it has the reputation of being the worst of the worst. And he didn't just walk through. He went into the bars and he went into and he went into the places where the AIDS victims were dying and suffering. And he held their hands. And he talked with them. And he prayed with them. Okay? He had a calling to go to the lost. And so he went to where the lost were. He went to show the love of Christ. And that's what Paul did in Crete with his eyes wide open. What this shows a lost and dying world is that God's grace is poured out on sinners who are in need of a Savior. As Jesus said to the Pharisees, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we're in church. What does that say about us? It says that, Jesus came to us because we as sinners needed a Savior. Now, now that Paul's crusade in Crete is finished, there was still work to do. Remember, in this world, Satan is always looking to make what is clear confusing. So Titus was tasked to remain in Crete to assure that the local churches were not overtaken by false ideas promoted by teachers of false things. Paul instructs Titus that these wolves could be identified by their walk and their talk. In order to protect the flock of true believers, Paul calls Titus to install shepherds. He calls them elders. These were to Confront the false teachers, harming the flock by spreading bad ideas, and disciple believers in the truth. Paul lays out the qualifications of these these shepherds in chapter 1. And just as an aside, you need to know that these qualifications are not just for elders. These characteristics are for what every believer should be striving for because they're evidences of a maturing faith. (coughs) Paul follows the list of positive evidences of mature believers by talking about what marks those who falsely claim to be believers exhibit. What are they doing? And the list starts with insubordinate, meaning not submissive. Paul instructs us that these folks have impure minds and are not fit for any good work. Paul minces No words in identifying those who want to be a part of the body of Christ, but who are destroying the body of Christ. One day, we'll look at this in more detail, but just know for now that church leaders are tasked with dealing with falsehood in the church. Paul tells Titus that shepherds must be able to rebuke and silence deceivers in the church to protect believers from harm. In chapter 2, Paul instructs Titus what to teach. He summarizes the teaching for different groups of folks. There's older men and older women and younger men and younger women. And then there's bondservants. Paul admonishes Titus to train folks to be an example of God's transforming grace so that the world can see what Christ came to accomplish. And Paul has a theme in Titus. And this is his theme. There's a link between faith and a believer's walk that cannot be separated. A true believer's belief and behavior always go hand in hand. When a person's walk does not match their stated faith, the church has a responsibility to address the observed disconnect in truth and love. And if you take nothing else away from this tonight, take that away and, re- and remember that. So that brings us to our text in chapter 3. And in honor of God's word, if we could stand and we'll read through this. We're going to be reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Say amen if you're there. Amen. And say amen if you're not there. Amen. All, right. <laughs> all right. And All right. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Lord, sorry, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Amen? And there are five things that I think we can look at in this. Involves the whole book of Titus, but there's five things here. First one is people problems plague professors and protectors. Second one is submission to God's word signifies true faith. Third is, believers' obedience evidences elder qualifications and true faith. The Fourth is, right walking is required. And five, confronting falsehood promotes body health. We can sit down. I'm going to grab a sip of water. All right. So, have you ever heard folks talk about how great their new church is? And I've heard it from some of my friends. And often, that lasts for a while until they start to see the humanness of the staff and its members. Then the talk becomes a little more negative and complaining, and then they often move to a different church. And it's been said that if you ever find the perfect church... Please don't join it because that would just ruin the whole thing. And Paul knew that would happen in Crete. He knew he knew human sin nature. And so he knew the converts in Crete were going to display some very common human conditions. Foolishness, disobedience, deceived, enslaved to lust and pleasure, full of malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. In fact, he identifies himself as having this sin nature. I don't know if you caught it, but he said some of us, or we. He's including himself in that. And there's no way that I think any of us could ever get away from the fact that God called us out of, right? Right. He didn't call us to stay, but he called us out of. And we need to remember that when we go into a place, we're we're going in as believers, but we're calling them out of. Paul doesn't dodge the truth that we're all sinners. We shouldn't dodge the truth that we are sinners. And... This uncomfortable fact should be obvious, but all too often, we don't accept it mentally. We kind of skip over it. In fact, many times in our thinking, we deny it. In our pride, we want to think of ourselves as sinless and that we are our own redeemer. Jesus came to save those enslaved by sin His deliverance is from bondage to sin and judgment for our sin. His work in our hearts and minds does not instantaneously deliver us from sin. His work does not cause those who are pretenders and in the secret places of their hearts. It it, it doesn't cause them to just somehow disappear. They still are enemies of God's kingdom, even if it is in the secret places of their hearts. But our salvation is a starting point. Christ delivered us to a new kingdom where he is Lord. He gives us instruction on how to live. But we don't know all that we need to know. We need instruction. And for that reason, Paul tells Titus to remind them. Have you ever wondered who the them is? Who are them? They're church members. We are them. We need the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the appointed shepherds. God has given each of these for our benefit to mature us through teaching, through correction, through rebuke, and through training in righteousness. Our salvation was the start of our journey. It wasn't the end. And we're called to continue to grow daily in the grace of God and demonstrate to a dying world the gospel of Christ. The problem is that the church goers often create problems for others. We practice culturally accepted sins in the church, and that's a problem. But we think it's no problem. Trash talk someone? They brought it on themselves. Their actions are just so wrong. I'm better than that. Not submitting to leaders? (laughs) They're just people like me. They've got issues that they need to deal with too. Me and God, we've got this. And who gave them the right to speak to me like that? I don't have to listen to this. Arguing with folks in and out of the church? (laughs) Hey, I'm my own person. Nobody's going to disrespect me for that. I'll give them something to think about so that the next time they'll think better about shooting off their mouth. If you haven't done it, you've probably heard someone do it. But my guess is you've probably done it too. Right. We don't do it on Sunday because Sunday's church day, but, you know, Monday, that's, that's that's back in the norm of things. But we're told by God that he's transformed our hearts and minds so that we can do good works that he's prepared before the foundation of the world. We're called to be gentle, loving, and courteous, among other things. That's what we're called to be. That doesn't mean we aren't called to deal with conflict. Quite the opposite is true. God gives us instruction on how to deal with conflict. In fact, he showed us How not to take into account a wrong suffered. He showed us how to forgive. He demonstrated how to be patient, self-controlled, and submissive. He showed us how to rebuke in love different kinds of folks. The disciples, the Gentiles, the religious leader, the adulterer, the Samaritan woman, Pontius Pilate, And he did it all in love. But he didn't turn a blind eye toward the sin of the sinners. He graciously dealt with the sin and called sinners to repent. Paul lets Titus know that foolishness, disobedience, insubordination, slavery to lust and passions, malice, envy, hate, they're not marks of a believer. They are the marks of those who do not believe. Or who do not walk in their belief. And and what that should tell us is that if we're practicing these things, we're rebelling against God. And that's a serious thing. The world may look at it and go, oh, that's no big deal. But we're not going to stand before the world on Judgment Day. We're going to stand before the Lord. Amen? Amen. You might ask, what's this look like today? Well, it looks like someone calling attention to the faults of a brother or sister in Christ for the purpose of taking them down a notch or two. It it looks like whispering someone's faults to others so we feel better about ourselves. It it sounds like angry outbursts at work. It looks like angry looks, sounds like angry words and motions, towards folks who are doing something that we feel is wrong. It, it looks like someone manipulating another to gain something. It, it sounds like someone correcting another to their own standards rather than to God's standards. It, it, it looks like someone overstepping their authority by calling someone into compliance to their thinking rather than the rightful authority granted by God and to, and to, his, and to his righteousness. I, I, I hope you get the picture. And I entreat you, don't think this is someone else's problem. I did that for many years. It's a problem for every person you see in the mirror. It's common for each of us to seek our own way. And The result is people problems. These are problems for both the sheep and for the shepherds. Paul calls Titus to set shepherds in place to deal with this stuff. And God calls each of us uh, 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 to deal with our contributions to these people problems. So while people problems are pandemic, God instructs how to deal with them. And as a matter of fact, the second point is submission to God's worth is what signifies true faith. Uh, We often read through Titus, or when we read through Titus, there's a group of words that keeps coming up. One of these words is submission. We, We find the concept kind of spelled out in a group of words. There's insubordinate, submissive, Subordination, submission. And why is this important? Well, we're instructed to look unto Jesus. And when we do so, we find that Jesus submitted to the Father's will. In the garden, he pleaded as he prayed, Not my will, but yours be done. Submission is done to rightful authority, And it's a mark of a true believer. It is a practical demonstration of a believer's faith which cannot be easily faked. When Jinx goes out of her domain, she's demonstrating her nature. When someone rebels against rightful authority, they're demonstrating their nature. Christ's kingdom has been entered by some pretty repulsive people over the years. Who would have tagged Saul as a good candidate? He he became Paul. But who would have tagged Saul? or, Or Rahab? Or Peter? Or me? We saw what happened with the Pharisees and with Judas. Judas demonstrated what he was about when he sold Jesus out because he wanted someone to overthrow the Romans, not preach the gospel. Christ's kingdom grew because his followers submitted to his authority to define how they should think and act. Jesus went for transformation of the innermost parts. And Jesus delegated his authority to others. Not everyone is an apostle. Not everyone is a shepherd. Not everyone is a teacher. But every believer is called to proclaim the gospel. When we follow Christ, he calls us to submit to those in rightful authority over us. This applies not only to government and business rulers, but also to church leaders. Paul told Titus and Timothy to not let anyone disregard them. They were young. You ever had a young guy tell you something? You know, I can remember one. I can remember one time when it happened, and and it was the most. It it was a rebuke of the most severest kind, and I will remember it to this day. It was when my thirteen-year-old son rebuked me. He rightfully rebuked me, and I should have paid attention to it more than I did. I would have profited from it greatly. God will use other believers. He will use the young. He will use the old. He will use whoever he chooses to come and to prune, to instruct, to train, to rebuke, to correct believers. Paul told them not to disregard him, and as appointed leaders in the church, they had the rightful authority to deal with the church. Do you think that the Jewish believers in Crete should submit to a Greek named Titus? Do you feel that those whom Titus appointed as shepherds should be submitted to by the other church members in Crete? After all, who made Titus the decider of these things? There are older men here who could do a better job of it, and they know people better than this carpetbagger of Paul's. Can you see how a heart... That's been transformed by Christ signifies true faith by submission. And equally, can you see how insubordination to rightful authorities demonstrates that the individual who has placed himself on the throne evidences pride and rebellion against God. We're not to let such an offense be named among us. That's what what Paul tells Titus. To that end, the church leaders are called to deal with this rebellion. There's training and instruction, there's modeling, and there's rebuke, which if heeded will evidence a change of action. If not, there's separation. A church taking such steps is submitting to the headship of Christ. A church or its members that is unwilling to take any of these steps is demonstrating rebellion to God's headship. But understand, I'm not talking about churches and leaders that are overstepping their rightful authority. There are some churches that have replaced God's instruction with their own thinking. The Pharisees were examples of this back then. And there are some churches that do it today. There are some individuals that do it today. Some church leaders manipulate and guilt trip members to do things they want, but they're not God-ordained. God will deal with them in his time. So, in summary, in this, God in His world reveals how to set up order in government, business, and church, and He calls each of us to recognize rightful order and submit to it. Submitting to God's word involves yielding our wills to others who have rightful authority over us. And I think about one such scripture. It says, "Submit one to another." and ask yourself, well, how do I do that? How do I do that with a rebellious heart? It's impossible without the Spirit of God guiding the heart and the mind. And those are tough words, I know. I just ask that you don't shoot the messenger. He calls us to watch out for those who disregard it, and instructs us with how to deal with that rebellion in Christ's kingdom. Not how to deal with it outside, but how to deal with it in the church. So, we've looked at people problems which plague professors and protectors. And we took a peek at how submission to God's word signifies truth, faith. Now let's move on to believers' obedience. Evidencing and how the elder qualifications demonstrate true faith. I think the key to this is that those things that we think of as elder qualifications are not just for elders. I read this book. It was entitled um, The Measure of a Man, written by a guy named Gene Getz. And he had done a, a Bible study at his church because some of the men wanted to know well, what are the characteristics of, that a, a godly man should have and so he went, to the, he went to the list in Timothy and Titus and he put together a thing and, and one of the first things he said was he said these are not really just for those desiring to be elders they are evidences not of a super Christian they're a natural product of a life submitted to God and committed to maturing in Christ if we stop thinking of this list as a set of ideals meant only for leaders in the church, we can begin to see how they apply to us, men and women. When Paul speaks to Timothy, he says, Go look for folks that do these things. When any believer evidences the fruit of the Spirit, he is demonstrating his submission in obedience to the Lord. He's, he's evidencing a changed heart, one that is... Intent on having Christ on the throne rather than himself. It should be every believer's goal to walk in the paths that God has set out. It should be a natural outcome that we listen for and follow the Spirit's voice. But like jinx, we can think that it's okay to bend the rules and do our own thing if nobody's looking. We we can convince ourselves that we just have to be seen as being doing good rather than actually doing good. When a professed believer walks in God's ways, his whole life testifies to other believers and to the world that he is a servant to the Lord Most High. So when God calls for a local body to be assembled, God's chosen leaders look for shepherds who are walking rightly to oversee the flock. Unlike jinx, these trust God's instructions and boundaries, and they walk in them. It's natural for them, because they've been trained to do it, and they've submitted to it. The distinguishing characteristics of believers, one of them is obedience. Paul repeatedly reminds Titus of the importance of looking for obedience and for disobedience. Obedience is a necessary evidence of true faith. And for shepherding, while disobedience testifies of disqualification from being a leader and need of repentance. Obedience is a hard issue that cannot be ignored in the body of Christ. God has too many instructions on this topic in his word for us to ever minimize it in ourselves or in others. God has given obedience as a diagnostic tool for deciding how to bring health to his children. So we've looked at three things. The plague of people problems, the significance of submission for true faith, and obedience as a universal call for all believers. And the next one that we'll look at is A right walk is not optional. Paul tells Titus that as heirs, according to the hope of eternal life, believers are to be careful to engage in good deeds which are profitable for all men. Not just profitable for those in the church, but profitable for all men. Why? Because as we do it, we're testifying to God's call to these others the others, who God is calling to himself. And he briefly warns of some of the things that believers are not to do. We remember that God created us to do his works. I don't know if you remember that. It's in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, among other places. And that means that we have to be aware of his calling in our life and then submit to it. It means that we seek His guidance, His instruction and correction to keep us doing the right things. We can't be just doing our thing. We aren't called to go on cruise control and drift through with whatever comes our way. We have to be intentional on listening to the voice of the Spirit that's calling us and what He's calling us to do. Instead, of just drifting along or to be purposeful in what we do, to reflect on what we've done and to correct our deficiencies. This side of heaven, we're all in the process of being conformed to God's image. We rely on Christ's work to justify us before God, and we rely on God through his word, his spirit, and his obedient children to direct our paths The instruction to avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strifes and disputes about the law is not a suggestion. It's a directive. It's a command. And it's necessary to obey. I have a suspicion that most heated arguments are all about our flesh rather than about giving glory to God. My experience is, is that a lot of boasting about sports streams, autos, <laughs> music, <laughs> individual performers, political issues, those kind of things would fall into the realm of foolish controversies. And, you know, I'm meddling here, I know that. But we need to be aware about that what we choose to dwell on may in fact be worthless in the kingdom. Thinking on that may cause us to change the way we talk about things and what we talk about. I think we would do well to think about ways to encourage and exhort one another. You know, our, our sister shared eloquently about some of the stuff that she's dealing with. And, and this week I've had several conversations about how the women in our lives are faced with just unspeakable challenges. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to be intentional on how we help them with that. We have a need to have empathy for those who are hurting and who are struggling and who are being pressed down by a society that is intent on destroying us. They need, they need our help. We don't want to just distract people from the serious challenges that they face. Jimmy was not given a joke book to confront his his cancer. Jimmy was given companionship He was given sympathy. He was given comfort. He was given those things that only a a person who loves God can give, right? We would do well to show mercy and empathy and brokenness towards those who are suffering rather than try and lift their spirits by focusing them on some fleeting feeling, a new CD, some statistic, or some fable. Right walking is not an option. It's the normal expectation of one trusting in the Savior in their whole being because he's transformed them to do his work. So the last thing is to consider that confronting falsehoods Promotes body health. And I have to tell you that this is a hard one. This is just a hard one. Because we all know folks who have had, or currently had, some serious diseases. There's a process for diagnosing disease. It starts with spotting the symptoms, and then examining, and then treatment. And what happens if you ignore it? If you get strep throat and you ignore it, it can progress to scarlet (laughs) fever. It can, can progress to kidney failure, I mean it can do all sorts of nasty things and it invades other body parts to the point where there's (laughs) there's things that are going to go wrong in the beginning it's easier to take measures to save life if you take penicillin, if you have strep, you can deal with it then, if you wait for a while it just gets worse and the And the cures become worse and worse. I know one woman who had to have valve replacements in her heart because, as a child, they didn't deal with her strep throat, and it it did it caused scarlet fever, which caused her heart valves to fail. And we can name lots of things that are serious that, if we don't take care of them, they'll cause death. And the treatments are difficult, and they're trying. But, without them, the alternative is death. The same is true for church health. Paul lists a number of things that are harmful to body life. Hate, lusts, malice, evil talk, false teaching, gossip, those are all named. These all need to be treated in order for the body to remain healthy. The treatment may be challenging and distasteful to us because it involves conflict. But if the body is to survive, action has to be taken. We see Paul instructing Titus throughout the epistle on what is profitable and what is harmful. But here at the end of our passage, he gets very direct. Consider the strong language that Paul uses. He tells Titus to reject a factious man after a first or second warning. And there's a progression here. Just like treating disease, you start with the most minimally invasive treatment necessary to correct the problem. When someone refuses to walk rightly, the go-to actions are teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. The intent of such loving discipleship is repentance and change. But if there is no change... Then in obedience to God's instruction, the leaders are to reject an individual and his belief claim. This involves putting them out of the fellowship of the saints for the body of Christ's health. That's, this is really serious stuff. Yes, it is. And this is the most severe con- correction that's available It's like telling a diabetic, I have to cut off your leg to save your life. Because if I don't, the infection that's in your foot is going to kill you. This is how the church is protected against those emissaries of Satan who would destroy the church. But the call is not intended to be final. It's a call of repentance. It's a call to change. And it's a necessary step in fighting the cancer of unchecked sin in Christ's bride. What if the church won't do this? Well, that's an evidence of disobedient leaders and disobedient followers in need of repentance and correction. It's evidence that the leaders and the followers are in need of correction and discipleship. I've seen churches like that. A friend of mine told me he said, "I went to the I went to the pastors after they kept getting messages after messages after messages, and every time they got to a point where they talked about fornication, they skipped over it." And so I went to them and I asked, "Well, why do you why do you, you know, they teach expository, verse by verse by, but when you get to this, we we skip over it." And they said, "The reason is because if we talk about that, we will lose all of our youth." And my friend looked at him and said, You've lost them already. And if you don't talk about it, you're not doing what Scripture told you to do, which is to correct, teach, train in righteousness. That was enough evidence for him to say, there's a problem here. And he confronted them. And when he didn't... and I want to tell you, this is a big church in the valley, by the way. A very reformed big church in the valley. They needed correction. They need training. They need to walk in obedience. Confrontation is not something to be lightly or based on strong feelings and personal preferences. It requires a vast amount of wisdom that only Christ can give. It requires love and patience. It requires a great deal of self-examination. And if done incorrectly, it too is extremely harmful to the body of believers. It can rip a body of believers apart and cause all these little groups to form because one person instead of focusing on God's word, they focused on what I think and what it and what they said, and they forgot that the only place we need to go is to God. We need to go to Scripture. We need to follow what it says. We need to follow what it says to do. So that being said, It's not something to walk away from when God's word and spirit calls for it. But it is something to be done very, very fearfully, for lack of a better word. So, since God knows us intimately, he knows how to protect us and he doesn't want us being deceived. So by his grace, he has instructed us He knows what's needed for us to live in faith communities which live out His calling and bring glory to Him. So we started off by saying, Where is God's glory seen? Here, among believers today. Each one of you who's a believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in His people. And where worship takes place is in the temple. And that's in you. And whenever we do that, we give him glory. He calls us to walk out our faith so that others know to whom we belong. And it's that way that he's profiting and protecting his creation. Not just his church, but the entire world. So the five things. People problems plague professors and protectors. Submission to God's word signifies true faith. Faith. Believers, obedience, evidences, elder qualifications, and true faith. Right walking is not optional. It's required. And confronting falsehood promotes health. Now what do we do at the end? No. We have, we have something to look at. We have a, something that I called God's instruction for his children. It's a song by the name of Find Us Faithful, sung by a guy named Keith Green. If we could stand. Steve Green. Did I say Keith Green? It's Steve Green, not Keith Green. I'm sorry. (laughs) That is definitely not as
4: rowdy as Keith Green. Uh, But definitely very fitting. We uh, thank you, Brother Mark, for that. It seems as if God is still continuing. The fact that we have been dealing with the idea of being a church for quite some time, knowing we're a church, but to actually walk that out. uh, And God is constantly reminding us of exactly what He created us to be. And that's not a, a group of individuals just kind of doing their own thing, but His body. With each and every person contributing and being a part of that body, through you, gifts are being poured out to bless others. And we all help in the growth of one another. Uh, Not just for us, but there are people who are following, as the song said, what we're doing. And not just people who are registered citizens. There are families. There are other ministries now that we're finding out are asking and calling us out because of what God is doing. And that's not just individuals. That's all of us together as one body. And if we know that the Spirit of God is calling other bodies to pay attention to what God is doing here, we also know that the enemy would love to distract and destroy what God is doing here. Each and every one of us are being blessed by this ministry, but we're also holding a place, so to speak, for all the people who will be coming behind us. brothers coming from prison, possibly even sisters, coming from prison um, from other parts of the country because we're the tip of the spear and we're saying, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. So I hope that you take what we've been hearing the last couple of weeks in the heart of how much of a blessing this is, but also how serious it is to make sure that we connect with one another and protect that fellowship for not just our sakes, but everybody who would come behind us. And what a great privilege it is, with Christ as our head, to stand for glory, to stand for the kingdom of God and be that conduit for which we can pray and have answered by fire, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. Let's lift our hands for the benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church say. Amen. God bless you.